Welcome to the Halloween episode of Dirtcast. <laughs> I am your host, Madeline Davies. And I'm your other host, Megan Reynolds. Uh, it's almost Halloween. Almost. I'm terrified. That was really scary. And we have of a kind of a spooky episode. I think so. Our guest today is Karina Longworth of the You Must Remember This podcast, which is so good. It's really um, good. She is here to join us in a, in a discussion of some celebrity murders of the 20th century. Ooh, ghost murder. This idea that the poses in Playboy and like certain other pornographic things, like the idea is like having the woman like not resist at all. And that's so similar to... A dead body. Did you scare yourself? I did. <laughs> I scared myself this morning, actually. I had been reading the scary stories. Um, oh, yes. For it's the Jezebel contest. scary oh, story contest time. The best time of year. But they recently repainted the hallway and the dining room, so it's a lot brighter. Mm -hmm. in my. And there, were this, there was this weird shadow that was, like, flickering on the wall in the hallway, which I can see from my room. For, like, two seconds, I was like, what is that? definitely a ghost. And then I like stepped outside and I looked and it was like nothing. And then it happened again. And I was like, what? Sounds Hello? like a ghost. And then I saw it was just a fucking shadow from like the tree a slash a ghost. Um, it was a ghost tree. It was a ghost tree. And it was in my hallway across from the Tupac mirror. What is the Tupac mirror? There's, <laughs> there's a mirror in our hallway leading to the bathroom. It's this big like wall mirror and it has a really bad drawing of Tupac on it. Oh. And then it says Tupac with his um, birth date and his death date. And then it also has like pretty bad drawings of like people that you're like, is that En Vogue? Like I think that's Ice Cube. Like it's all. Where did you find that? My sister bought it off the street. It's like her most prized possession. What if it was the ghost of Tupac? Oh my God. <laughs> we should hold a seance. You definitely should not. No, I live above a funeral home. So that's with the devil. You're going to get I, burned. I would actually be, I don't even like being in the room with a Ouija board. Did I, I've told you about how when I had to stay the night at the Lizzie Borden oh God. house. And like, so like all the guests like hang out. Right. Um, which I was scared. glad because I was alone and I was uh -huh. very scared. Sure. Um, definitely. So I was like glad to have company, but they did the Ouija board. They did? Yeah. And I was just like. What happened? Nothing. Okay. Nothing happened. I was expecting you to be like, it flew off the table, and then the planchette, like, no. hit someone in the face, and then, like, I died. Like, Lizzie Borden came from the fireplace. I don't know. I will say, I truly did not sleep a wink. I would have been too fucking scared. I would have been terrified. Every noise. Plus, it's, like, a an actually, like, an old-ass house, yeah. so, it, like, it makes, like, it, like groans. And, right. You know, I was so scared the whole time. Oh, my God. Um. Yeah, it was really, really scary. What a harrowing I would experience. never do it again, I don't think. I mean, I would stay at that type of thing. I would never do it alone again. I don't think I could stay in a place that was, like, haunted. Yeah. Even, like, definitely not alone. I don't, like, I would not even want to go in. But even if I was accompanied by someone, I would have to turn on, like, every single light and make sure that they were also awake, even if that was not their desire. Right. So it would be a really fun night for everybody involved, I think. I logically do not believe in ghosts. Okay. I don't believe in them. Right. You turn off the lights. Uh -huh. I believe in ghosts. Yes. Where it's like, yes, I know, immediately. I know that. I know that they're not real. Correct. Same here. But like, what if, what if knowing that makes them go after me? More? Well, that's the thing. I feel like <laughs> they target the deniers. Yes, exactly. So like, the minute your light is out, they're like, like all the seven thousand ghosts that have been like following you your entire life. 
yes. that you just don't know about because you're like, I don't believe in you. Like, good night. They are there waiting in your closet or like at your desk or in a haunted mirror, possibly. Yeah. Um, waiting the for you. Tupac the haunted mirror. Tupac mirror. It'd be funny if it like wasn't the ghost of Tupac. It was just like another ghost. Oh, my God. Just like one that was like, oh, this mirror looks fun. Yeah. Like, I'm going to live in here for a while. Yeah, I wouldn't like that. So I'm probably not going to sleep tonight. It's I, Well, so I am like, I'm really very tired listeners because mm. um, I have been having a very hard time sleeping in general lately Uh-oh. because a fun development in my life is that I'm having night terrors. You are? Like yesterday morning, I woke up screaming. Oh, my God. Um, I Like actually screaming. Yeah, like my own yell. Like you're, okay. Uh, woke me up. Fuck. I was having one of those dreams where, like, I couldn't make any noise. Mm-hmm. So it was like I was trying and trying and trying. Right. And then I, like, woke up just shouting. Oh, my God. Which I then was just, like, really nervous that my neighbors were going to call the cops. Sure. And, like, I was going to have to go Ex- talk, be like, I'm sorry. I was just having I was a scared. night terror. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, like, that I was going to have to explain <laughs> that. And then the next time some lady in the building, like, actually gets murdered, no one calls the cops because right. they just think it's me having a nightmare. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. But no one did. So Great. the good news is I would have just gotten <laughs> Murdered regardless. Um, um, the problem is I have to read all of the ghost stories because I judge the that contest. That sucks, yeah. And so I think that, like, that's all in my head. And then I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre this weekend. I've never seen that and will never it turns see out, it. It's the scariest movie of all time. Hello? <laughs> it's just, like, very simple, but... So horrifying. Right. I mean, I guess I should have known from the title. Sure. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, I don't know. I'm never going to see that movie. It sounds, is it gory? Yes. I'm, no. I have a weak stomach and I'm a wimp. Yeah. I mean, it it was like, it violated all these labor laws to make because they like made it in one week just with these like kids from Texas who. Oh my God. um, I mean, it's really good. Right. And the fact that they like made such a scary movie with such a low budget is pretty impressive. Right. But I don't know. As someone, I am prone to nightmares no matter what. Right. That I think that this month, despite being my favorite month of the year, right. has like really done a number on me. I mean, it sounds like it. The, yes. It's almost over. So then. I keep saying thank you for some reason. <laughs> like that's like a part of it. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's almost over. So ideally by November, you the weather will be normal and it'll feel like fall-esque. Yes, and maybe some real fluctuations. The real nightmare, which is global warming, climate change. Well, maybe that's why you're having. Maybe that's why your sleep and your dreams have been so fucked up because of the weather. Maybe something I just made up. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think it's more of just like my constant flow of uh, terrifying, terrifying stories. Yep. No, sure. But we could also. Yeah, you're right. The weather has nothing to do with it. I don't think. Plus, I got a real, a real weird brain. I got a real, a real weird. <laughs> There's a lot going on in there. Yeah, I can't even say real <laughs> weird brain. Let's get into the dirtiest dirt. This week is actually fun-ish. There's like some fun and then some shitty. Yeah, I mean, right. as is like as is life. As is life. It is both fun and shitty. Kim Cattrall, who is probably best known as two things, Samantha. Uh, Samantha in, Jones. Samantha Jones. PR. <laughs> PR. 
PR in Sex in the City, and then the woman in that fucking video scatting. I mean, we've done a whole episode kind of on Kim Cattrall, basically. Oh, nice. Nice. Um, no, we didn't. We just talked about her a lot. Those are the two things that I know. There's the story about how um, she, like, bought that tea kettle, which stopped her from getting on the missing Malaysian flight. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> and at the last minute before I took off to the airport, I decided to take another flight because I had neglected to go to Harrods and buy my mother a teapot. And that teapot saved my life because when we landed in New York on the flight that I had taken 45 minutes after the Pan Am flight had taken off, we found out that the plane had gone down. She's a treasure. She really is. Um, She's really wonderful. And the reason, (laughs) part of the reason that she's such a treasure is that she seems to be the one who has single-handedly stopped the Sex and the City 3 movie from being made. No. (laughs) To the cries of like one person, maybe. Um, The actor who plays Stanford Blatch is the only one who's upset about it. (laughs) Willie Garson is, like, really mad. (laughs) So basically, there have been talks about this for years. Apparently, there's, like, a script floating around. Sarah Jessica Parker has always said that there's a possibility that there could be a third. And then a couple of weeks ago, a Daily Mail article came out that cited some anonymous sources saying that the third movie was stalled because of Kim Cattrall's, like, diva-like behavior One of the sources said, the only reason this movie isn't being made is because of Kim Cattrall. Everyone was looking forward to making this movie, but Kim made it all about her, always playing the victim. (laughs) Um, Another source said, Kim had the audacity to tell Warner Brothers she would only do this if they made other movies she had in development. Ridiculous. Who does she think she is? George Clooney? That is just who, what? I would love to know what movies she has in development. I don't need to. (laughs) (laughs) I I bet they're incredible. What is the last movie? She's in something that I see on Netflix a lot. She does like Like a lot of. face something. She does a lot of British stuff too. Does she? Well, because she's English. Oh. She's like English. She's like Anglo-American. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. She was like in that Roman Polanski movie about uh, like ghostwriting that starred Ian McGregor. She was in that. Oh, okay. But that was a long time ago. Country. How does it feel to be so cut off? How does it feel to be so hated? Well, thanks a lot. Uh, and so loved. Amelia, what do you think? I think I should leave you two alone. I never saw it for the record. <laughs> the only movie I can think of, she's in Mannequin. Yes, of she course. She's the Mannequin. Yes, she is mannequin. But she is mannequin. <laughs> what a funny way to say hello. What the hell's going on? My name is Emma Hesseray, but you can call me Emmy. <laughs> it's a joke, right? I'll take a man. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to do some Samantha puns. It's pretty good. Yeah, so all these sources were like, Kim's a bitch, basically. She's the reason this movie isn't happening, blah, blah, blah. I believe all of those things. Sure, 100%. I also don't think that movie should happen. No, 100%. There's no reason we don't need a Sex and the City 3. Well, it's funny because the original Sex and the City series mm-hmm. actually has, like, come around. It has. And is, like, very good for a show about, like, wealthy white ladies in yeah, New York City. I love it. Um, so it's just like, just go back and rewatch those. Yeah. They're fun. They, I don't know. They're fun. You could also watch Sometimes they're sad. Sometimes they're sad. You could also watch the first movie, which I actually don't mind. Yes. I just, I mostly just remember 
big leaving Carrie at the altar. Yes. Carrie. I freaked out for a minute, but I'm ready now. I knew you would do this! I knew it! I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. Um, but, all right, so oh, all these... Fucking Steve. I hate Steve I so hate much. Steve, too. He's People love Steve, and I don't understand why, because he's worthless. Oh, he's such a piece of shit. He's Just like, worthless. Hey, Miranda. <laughs> Miranda. How he she like washes his underwear. I know. She, when he's like just like watching Scooby Doo on he's the couch, as she's getting ready for work, and he's like, "Ah, Scoob, you go." <laughs> wow, your Steve is really good. Thank you. So all these sources were like, "It's Kim's fault." Blah blah blah. Sarah Jessica Parker confirmed that this goddamn movie wasn't happening. She said, "I'm disappointed. We had this beautiful, funny, heartbreaking, joyful." Very relatable script and story. It's not just disappointing that we don't get to tell the story and have that experience, but more so for that audience that has been so vocal and wanting another movie. Who? Who? <laughs> Reveal yourselves. Show me. I guess it's like the same people who like do the tours. Mm, who like still go to Magnolia. Yeah. And like love cupcakes and shoes and stuff. It's also worth noting mm. that Sarah Jessica Parker and Kim Cattrall have not gotten along since the TV show. Right. They have never really been fans of each Fans. That was my Midwestern accent. Oh, Again, I'm really tired, and that's when it comes out. <laughs> I um, love it. There have, uh, they've never been fans, fans. You can say it however of you each other. want. <laughs> it comes out when I'm tired, when I'm angry, and when I'm drunk. I think that makes sense. Otherwise, though. it's mostly in check. <laughs> I think it's endearing. Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they've never been fans of each other. And that puts into context this following quote from Kim. She did an interview with Piers Morgan for some reason on some show that he has called, like, I'm Piers Morgan. It's not called that. I don't know what it's called. Talk of the Piers. <laughs> <laughs> Piers chat. Piers one. Piers one. <laughs> it should be called that. We should tell him. Um, Kim was like, this is really where I I take to tasks uh, the people from Sex in the City, and specifically Sarah Jessica Parker, is that I think she could have been nicer. Mm. I really think she could have been nicer. It's a great part. I played it past the finish line and then some, and I loved it. And another actress should play it. Maybe they could make it an African-American. <laughs> I love the repeat of I think she could have been nicer. Yeah, the second I think she could have been nicer is nice. I can't imagine those two getting along. No. Like, knowing what I know about them as public figures. Yeah. They're both, like, eccentric, rich ladies yeah. in very different ways. Yeah, like, different brands of that very specific thing. Like, SJP is very much, like, probably does whatever wellness trend is mm, going on, mm -hmm. you know, like, keeps her kids to, like, a very healthy macro diet. Yeah. Uh, to keep them down to earth. James Wilkie. Yes, James Wilkie, and the twins, son. whose names I've mercifully forgotten. Yes, I have also forgotten. Tabitha, that. fuck, wow, <laughs> Tabitha and blank. It's another like trendy, like old lady name. Okay. Anyway, all right. So Tabitha and other other Tabitha and other Tabitha. <laughs> so all right. So they. So okay. This fucking this fight has been going on 
for like publicly for like a while now. It's been yeah. like a month. On Monday, more there was unreleased footage from the Piers interview came out and Kim said, we've never been friends. We've been colleagues. And in some way, it's a very healthy place to be because then you have a clear line between your professional life and relationship and your personal. It's like the opposite of us. It's like the opposite, the direct opposite of why us. Why we're always feuding. That's right. Next on the list is Cardi B. Princess of the Bronx. <laughs> our close friend of Jezebel. I love her so much. I mean, she's really hard not to love. She is. She's very difficult not to not to enjoy. She came in to Jezebel once to like do a tutorial on how to find a winter boo. So good. Um, with one of the Deadspin writers, Sammer. And she... Just intimidated the hell out of him. The video is so good. What would be the best outfit to wear when you're trying to find a winter boo? I usually like that those type of guys that you know got got their pants all the way low and I can see their ass cheek and all that bullshit and got like the little gold change. You know what I'm saying? Like a regular regular Bronx nigga. That's the type of niggas I like. It's so cute. It's incredible. But she was in she was in Albany, the capital of New York State. It's true. Not New York City, as many believe. <laughs> it's Albany, a shitty town, like three three to four hours outside of New York. Yes, um, it's very cold. It's cold and gross. But they were there, they being Cardi and her people. Um, they were staying in a hotel because she was doing a show there. And they were kicked out of their hotel because apparently the entire floor of the hotel that they were staying on smelled like weed. Cardi says that she or her people do not smoke weed. She posted a video on Instagram detailing this entire experience, which has since been taken down. But some intrepid YouTube individual has preserved it on YouTube. Thank God. For eternity. Well, and there was definitely, like, some implication that yeah. this was racially motivated. Yeah, yeah. She, she was accusing them of being racist. I really don't want to be the one that pulls the race car, like, oh, they did that because they're racist. But that is the only explanation that I could fucking find because— I don't understand. Like, let me tell you something. I don't walk around with a whole entourage. It just be me, my manager, my security guard, the DJ, and my dancers. And nobody smokes weed in, in the motherfucking, in the group. Nobody. I feel like both of these things can be true. Okay. I bet someone was probably smoking someone, weed. Someone, oh yes. Okay, I was um, like, what? Yeah, I get it now. <laughs> but I also think like, if it was me smoking weed, uh -huh. I would not get kicked out of the hotel. No, 100%. I feel like it can be two things where it's like, I do not doubt that they were racist, that the hotel kicked them out for racist reasons. Yeah. And I also don't doubt that like someone was lighting up. Right. Because I would be. Yeah, that's what you do in a hotel. Right. <laughs> Smoke weed in a bathrobe and watch cable. Also like, guys, get vape pens. Seriously. And also, exactly, just upgrade yourself. Just I understand the appeal of a blunt. They're wonderful. Yeah. I love a joint. Um, I'll take a bong if offered. But a vape is excellent for just for discretion. Yeah, get that sticky icky in <laughs> oil form. That's, yep, that's what they call it. So I've never done drugs before. Neither <laughs> one of us has ever done any drug. 
God, why would you think that? Why would you suggest that? So, yeah, shitty of this hotel in Albany. Right. To, They're lucky that Cardi set foot in there. Mm-hmm. They should, they should feel blessed. They should, they should seal off the hotel room that she was in and make it a monument. Yes. To her presence, to her greatness. They won't. One day. One day. You know, it's, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's true. When Maddie and I are president. Yeah. <laughs> as a team. As a co-presidents. We've got a lot of the agenda. <laughs> Welcome to the White House. <laughs> oh I God. am your co-president, <laughs> Madeline Davis. I'm your co-president, Megan Reynolds. Ooh, we are punchy today. I, yeah, I don't know what is going on. I had a lot of coffee this morning, so I'm really, Maddie's tired, so this is, <laughs> this is beautiful. This is <laughs> the best podcast of all time. All right. And the last item is shitty. Well, it's just like more of the same More of the shittiness. Weinstein fallout. Yeah. A lot of other shitty men are being uh, dragged into the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Again, all things that are not – isn't new news. Right. But it's like companies are now afraid of losing money. Yep. So Condé Nast has, a, has allegedly issued a warning not to hire Terry Richardson. <laughs> Because that's new. Disgusting. (laughs) Right. Also, like, there have been sexual abuse and assault allegations against him for, what, 10 years? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe more. Mm -hmm. And just, like, they never cared. It's just that now people are paying attention to it. Right. And it might. It might, like, reflect poorly on the brand. Yeah, and, like, infringe on their capital. Exactly. So, yeah, there was a statement issued to all people who work with, who like, if Terry's been, like, on the books for any shoots or whatever, to cancel them or to, like, kill them if any pro- – like, just never – no more Terry. What will we do without his great photography? Oh, my God. Get out of here. Terry Richardson is the worst. I really want to see a hot babe in overexposed lighting. <laughs> it's a hot babe against a wall with, like, a lot of flash. Ugh. Cool. Um, so, yeah, he's going to lose work. Hopefully, because well, he is going to lose work through Conde, which I think, yeah, Vogue, He'll et cetera. Oh. He'll be fine. They always, this is the thing, they always they bounce back, or you don't even bounce, you just bounce. You don't, yeah. it's not even a back, you're not even, you haven't really fallen that hard, yeah. you know? Yes. You're insulated by like every, your privilege, I suppose. And the fact that like men can do almost anything, yeah, just about. And then, so another fallen man, mm. uh. The director, James Toback, apparently, like, hundreds of women have come forward saying that he has been uh, sexually inappropriate or sexually abusive around them. Right. Kind of a similar Weinstein situation Mm -hmm. where he has meetings, Mm -hmm. quote, unquote, which is just an excuse for him to jerk off. In front of them. Yeah. And he Mm -hmm. claims that it couldn't happen because he has diabetes, which is like— Which is like, sir— I need you to. Um, can you remind me who, what James Toback has directed? So the only movie of his that I remember was that movie Black and White. It was like about um, it was about white teens in New York who like were really really into rap culture. Basically, oh, I think oh. Elijah Wood was in it. Oh my god! Um, Jesus Christ! It was like a pretty. The only part of that movie that I really remember uh-huh. is that like. Two white teenagers are in Central Park, like, Frenching each other to girls while, like, two big hip-hop dudes watch. Are you kidding? You're not. No, why would I'm you lie kidding. to me about that? That's um, just. And that's, like, the part that, what? like, stayed with me where I was just like, what the fuck? Okay. So he's a cool guy. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, over 100 women have come forward mm-hmm. to uh, to 
corroborate various, yeah, yeah. journalists saying that this guy has been inappropriate, but he's like, no, my diabetes. Yeah, which is I'm not making light of diabetes. No, it's saying. <laughs> also, Amazon just put a stop to a production by David O. Russell that also was a Weinstein Company production mm-hmm. because he, uh, his transgender niece, oh, alleged right. that he groped her implant and made inappropriate comments to her. I think that that those Whoa. charges got dropped. Like he was actually brought in for it, and then the charges got dropped. Oh my god! Um, and he's also just known for being really verbally abusive, right? Uh, particularly, I think to women on set. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess Amazon is like girding their loins in advance of. It's just like so craven. This again has been out there for a really long time. Yeah, this is not new. Right. We all know. Yeah. And yet, it's just like suddenly. They're taking a stand, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh, how brave. How brave of them. It's know. not brave. It is the direct opposite of. It's really, it's, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and speaking of not brave, mm. <laughs> Kate Winslet was asked about working with Woody Allen on another Amazon film flick called Wonder Wheel, She's which is about, about to come out. looks stupid. Yeah, it's about Coney Island, I think. Yeah, it's about, like, I think it's probably about, like, Woody Allen's childhood, like, being, like, meh, young. <laughs> that and, is pretty much all Woody Allen yeah, movies. I, <laughs> I'm grumpy. I, like, love my mom, but I hate her, whatever. Yeah. I'm nebbish, but hot ladies <laughs> like me. <laughs> yeah, I look like a fucking golem. Like, the, the Lord of the Rings golem. Yeah. Like, <laughs> not, not like, the, like a golem. Not the strong one made out of Correct. clay. Not that one. No, the Lord of the Rings one. Um, He's disgusting. In any case, she's in this movie. She's the star of this movie, I believe. Yeah. Variety asked her about working with Woody Allen in light of Woody Allen. Existing. In light of Woody Allen, period. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, this is the quote. Um, She pauses. It's just a difficult discussion. I'd rather respectfully not enter it today. And she's the one who said she pauses. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. it's uh, So she said she kind of like theatrically was like, she pauses. Are you? This is not a conversation I want to enter right now. Kidding. It's the dumbest. Out of all the things contained in this tiny nugget, that perhaps, like, I'm not surprised, but I fucking hate that. It's just so fucking cowardly. Yeah. Sorry, you're Kate Winslet. You have the power to say that Woody Allen is a fucko. It's a pervert, yeah. I mean, so either to say, I don't care what the allegations are against him. Right. I wanted to work with him. Right. You know, art before the artist, all that bullshit right. that's stupid, but yeah, at but least would be an honest it. answer. Just say it. It's fine. Or say, I don't believe the allegations, which is also fucked up, but again, a more honest answer than just like, I respectfully decline. Right. Like, like the no comment situation, like it's now is no, no longer the time for like no comment. Well, and I think page six just, uh, you know, the always reliable. Love them. I guess page six actually, They're page pretty six good. is pretty good. Yeah. They got, they lawyer up. They do. They're um, smart. They just reported on the upcoming Woody Allen movie, which stars Jude Law. Jude Law and Rebecca Hall, who's like arguably, again, like too good for these movies. Who's but Rebecca Hall? She's a British actress. Okay. She was in Vicky Christina Barcelona. Okay, got it. And Elle Fanning. Mm. And it's about Jude Law is like an older producer Mm -hmm. who is dating his younger clients. Right. Who one, Elle Fanning, Mm. is like her character is supposed to be 15. Oh, my God. What? I love how Woody Allen is just like, this is who I am, guys. And we're all just like, no. (laughs) 
That's yeah. fine. He hasn't like, I mean, he has not been, sh- he hasn't hidden it in any way, shape or form. It's all there. It's all in the work. In Manhattan, he dates, a, he's dating a teenager. That's right. Muriel, Heming- Muriel Hemingway, Yes. Right? And then so it's just like, he's always just like put it out there. Yeah. And he's said before, he's like, I'm a sick guy. I'm a perv. Right. And then it's just like, everyone's like, no. No, you're great. Like, I love Danny Hall. Yeah. And then, like, put him back in his gross little, like, dusty box. And then he emerges every now and then. Every year with a new fucking shit, shitty movie. ass movie. That is stupid. Yeah. I should clarify. I think, like, in the dialogue that Page Six got tipped off of, mm. like, there's a line where uh, I think Rebecca Hall says something like, you're 15. And she's oh. like, no, I'm 21. But okay. I think the implication is that Elle Fanning is lying. Oh, uh, but I don't know. Ew. So I don't. I mean, I'm saying when the movie comes out, if it's like actually it's cool, one, no, it's not. <laughs> it's still about a man in his 40s, like going after his young clients, right? Uh, Which is like not good. No, right. So I don't care if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. But again, like he's gonna be fine. David Russell's gonna be fine. They're all gonna be fine. He's gonna be nominated for an Oscar in two years for something. Yep. I mean, starring Jennifer Lawrence as like a 90 year old woman because he loves to I love, cast her. As, I love the idea of Jennifer Lawrence consistently playing 20 to 30 years above her actual age. It's so insane. From the jump. Like, from what was the movie? Silver Linings Playbook is the one I was thinking of. Oh, right. She's too, she's too young for that role. It's fine. Well, I think it was even. And Joy. More, yeah, Joy was like more. In, she was playing like a woman in her 40s. <laughs> There's not enough middle-aged actresses, you know, to fill the roles. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, where are they? Who there's are a they? demand, <laughs> demand for middle-aged actresses. Yeah, it's just like there's just not enough. I mean, I don't know. I looked. I couldn't find any. They're all too busy. They're <laughs> they're all busy. They're all in France. Like Patricia Clarkson is in. My like, God, you, you don't see her in movies, <laughs> and she's amazing. She's fantastic, and she could be. She could play all of these roles with vigor, with gusto. Right. Today we are joined by Karina Longworth, the host of the podcast, You Must Remember This. She is going to talk to us about some spooky and tragic Hollywood murders. Hi, Karina. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Are you in a spooky mood? <laughs> I am, actually, because I've been writing the new season of my podcast, which is all about like 1930s horror movies. <gasps> nice. So I've just been watching like nothing but 1930s horror movies for the past two months. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And if you out there do not listen to Karina's podcast, uh, you must remember this, and you kind of like sort of eerie ephemera, I would highly recommend it because you you dig into some like pretty dark stuff. Yeah. I You know, it's just like I, the whole point of the podcast was to, from the beginning, was to kind of talk about these stories that people have forgotten, but um, also kind of the darker things like the deaths and <laughs> affairs right. and and. Uh, but, you know, also like the way that power is abused and the exploitative culture in Hollywood throughout time. Um, well, speaking of exploitative, <laughs> today we're talking <laughs> about 
murders. Murder. Um, <laughs> Fun. <laughs> or possible murders in some cases. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Some questionable deaths. Questionable deaths is a good way to put it, mm-hmm. I think. So we picked three celebrity or celebrity-adjacent people mm-hmm. who uh, had some pretty gruesome ends. The first we're going to start off with is Thelma Todd, who was a very successful actress in the mid-30s. Um, and she was found dead on December 16th, 1935, by her maid in her garage, slumped over the wheel of her very nice car, seemingly <laughs> killed by carbon monoxide inhalation. This was the official cause of death. This was it's what's listed in the records. Right. So what uh, weirded people out about this is Todd was sort of last seen alive at this party that was in her honor at the Trocadero, which was a very fancy uh, Hollywood nightclub at the time. She was seen there on December 14th. She was having a very gay old time. <laughs> she was – she left, I think – Fairly late. She left around like 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. But not like hammered. She just left. She was done. Well, I don't think that we can really judge 1930s drunk. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> like, a great I, point. I, you know, the amount of like that people were drinking, like like prohibition had like changed how much people drank. Like they drank a lot more because they didn't know when they'd like get alcohol again. <laughs> and so I think by the 1930s, like if you had been drinking all night at 3 a.m., like Maybe you'd, like, were used to getting very drunk in a way that we wouldn't be able to do all the time. Right. Or at least I wouldn't as a 37-year-old. Now that it was legal again, they could just, like, wild out. Really just let loose, fancy-free, dancing on the bar, et cetera. And places like the Trocadero, like, the reason why people like Thelma Todd would have parties there is because, like, they didn't let in normals. Oh. So, like, you, you could basically go there as a famous person and, like, get as hammered as you want. Right, and there'd be, like, no—I mean, I guess today the equivalent would be, like, people capturing you with their cell phones. Right. But back then it was just mm-hmm. no gossip rags or that type of thing. No, like, poison Yeah, quilt. and no autograph hounds. Yeah. Oh. So, yeah, so she got home around—or she <laughs> left around 3.30. She was probably pretty drunk. Well, the coroner <laughs> said that she had a uh, blood alcohol level of 0.13, which for someone of her weight uh-huh. and stature, he said would have left her completely stupefied. Oh. <laughs> and probably, like, and I guess this is what conspiracy theorists say, like, probably unable to, like, find her own way into the driver's seat of her car. Right. So her chauffeur dropped her off at home around 3.45 in the morning, and he is the last known person to have seen her alive. Her death was ruled as an accident, but there are other theories as to how and why she died. An accident doesn't really seem legitimate given, I guess, given the circumstances of her life. One theory is that she committed suicide, which I think is pretty unlikely given that she was doing pretty okay Yeah, in her career, et cetera. Well, she owned like a very hopping restaurant with her boyfriend and business partner, Roland West. And I think, yeah, so she was successful. She also, and I don't know if, Karina, you know more about this. She, like, had a, a stalker, basically, who was sending her very yeah. violent messages. Yeah, and she was, like, cooperating with the FBI. And um, there was actually two different guys, I think, or there was a, a multiple incidents, basically. And, like, at one point they arrested a guy and then it turned out to not be the guy. 
So, yeah, it was something that was causing her a lot of stress. And you mentioned her boyfriend, Roland West. He was married, and he was also his her business partner, but they had these, like, adjoining apartments above the restaurant. And so, you know, Thelma Todd, like, had a nice house. Like, mm-hmm. she had a mansion, like, somewhere else. She was getting dropped off at her apartment that was, like, basically her, like, secret—not secret, but it's, like, where she lived above her business, like, with, like, a secret door that went to her boyfriend's apartment. That's amazing. Ooh. So, like, it probably would have been smarter for her chauffeur to drop her off at her mansion. Sure, definitely. <laughs> um, but there, there was, like, a complicated situation at that building where in order to get in, she had to climb up all these stairs. Mm. And then usually Roland, if he was at home, he'd leave the door unlocked for her. But I guess he just got tired of waiting up for her because she came home so late. (sighs) And he didn't realize she didn't have her key. And he said something like he was like, please come home by 115. And she was like, ah, missed that deadline. I'm going to push it back. Yeah, she like made some joke about like, don't tell me what to do, baby. And then (laughs) like stayed out all night. And then when she tried to get into the house, like, he was already asleep. It's just a lesson to women. Don't have fun. Don't have fun. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. That's, that's mm-hmm. what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, and that's a part of another reason why people think that this couldn't be an accident is because it was such a complicated entrance, basically, that to find her way to the car would have been very challenging. Given for her a, state. For a hyper fucked up person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I actually, I do think it's an accident because all of the conspiracy theories, like, except for the one involving her ex-husband, which we can talk about, but I I don't think Roland West would have killed her because she was too much of, like, a cash cow for him. Yeah, Um, She was the only reason why people would go to that restaurant was, like, for her fame. And I don't think it was a mob thing because, you know, there's this, like— Conspiracy theory that Lucky Luciano did it because they were like exes and he wanted to start a gambling parlor in the restaurant and she wouldn't let him. But there's this guy, William Donati, who's a celebrity biographer, and he's written books on Thelma Todd, Lucky Luciano, and Ida Lupino, who was like the person who threw the party at the Trocadero that mm-hmm. night. And he says that he can't find any evidence that Luciano and Thelma Todd ever even met. Mm, And I've done some research on Luciano myself because um, the other person, like in the story, Thelma Todd's ex-husband, Pat DiCicco, he um, was like a right-hand man to Howard Hughes, who I just wrote a book about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that Pat DiCicco was like uh, was part of the mob and was an associate of Luciano. But every Lucky Luciano book does not mention Pat DiCicco at all. Hmm. So I just I think that like. I mean, I think with the Pacha Chico stuff, there's like a certain amount of 1930s racism. Like all Italians know each other and they're all right. mobbed. <laughs> cool. um, and I th- think that there might have been something like that with Thelma Todd, too, where it's like if she's already involved, like with this one Italian guy who's like known to be like, if not a gangster, somebody who like is a little shady and does beat people up. Right. Like right. she probably knew this other one, too. I also, after all my reading, the conclusion I came to is that she was drunk and tried to was about to go somewhere and mm. just died of... I also agree that it was an accident. She just, like, turned on the car and was, like, too drunk to do anything else and then just... Well, they say that there's like no, there was no signs of a struggle. Right. There was nothing like that. Her only injury was a split lip, which they determined happened when her head hit the steering wheel because right. she passed out. Um, so, yes, I agree with you, Karina. <laughs> I was, like, reading through this, I was yeah. like, it's kind of like Occam's razor. All of these... Conspiracy theories seem very out there. Well, except for the one involving Pat Chico, because I think he was like a really bad guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why he'd want to kill her. And the other thing that's suspicious is that he like suddenly left town the next day. He mm. just like booked it to, lo- to New York from Los Angeles. Um, 
But the way that she died, like asphyxiating, like in her car with the engine on, uh-huh. to force somebody into that situation, even if they were so drunk, I just don't understand how it could have been done without leaving any kind of evidence. Right. Yeah. So that's why I think she just turned on the engine to stay warm and like was too drunk to understand if she even knew that she would die that way. Oh, so she was just like, I don't have my key. I'll just spend the night here. Yeah, so I'll sleep in the car. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, not not bad logic, just a really unfortunate <laughs> ending. This is why my mom is so obsessed with me having a carbon monoxide detector in my house. We have one. There's no battery in it. <laughs> yeah, I. there's definitely one in mine, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay. So it's safe to say then, I think, despite all the conspiracies, that Thelma Todd's death was really just... As it sounds, just a very unfortunate and kind of just a shitty accident. Well, it's not safe to say anything. I mean, true. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's Halloween. You're right. I'm Where's sorry. our sense of mystery? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Apologies. Um, I mean, no matter what, her ghost is around us today. That's right. Yeah, she definitely here. is in the, the fusion studios <laughs> she's as sit, we She's sitting on my bag right now, actually. I really wish she wouldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That would be really terrifying. Actually, I would. That would be really scary. There's um, a ghost in here. I don't know. She seems like a good time. She does, but I think just like <laughs> a ghost would be frightening for me personally. Okay. Yeah, that's all. Um, <laughs> uh, the next case we're going to discuss is that of Lana Turner, Cheryl Crane, and Johnny Stompinato. Um, great. Another another mob adjacent mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So Cheryl Crane is the daughter of Lana Turner, who is a star of Lana. Lana, sorry. Lana Turner, a star of The Postman Always Rings Twice and Peyton Place and many other films. Um, she stabbed Johnny Stompinato, who was Turner's ex-boyfriend, telling police that she was protecting her mother from Stompinato, who was a rumored mafioso and also prone to violence. In the weeks before the murder, Turner told the court that Stompinato had held a razor to her face and threatened to disfigure her during a trip to London, and Stompinato was also removed from the set of her movie because of his behavior. Also worth stressing, Mm. so this happened on April 4th, 1958. Lana Turner's daughter is only 14 years old when this happens. She is a, you know, barely a teenager. Right. And she is a teenager who, according to the court of law and her own account, stabbed her mother's boyfriend right? because <laughs> she thought that he was going to kill her. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently, the night of Stompinato's murder, Turner had told her daughter that she was going to break up with Stompinato, saying, I'm going to end it with him tonight. Baby, it's going to be a rough night. Are you prepared for it? Boy, was she. I mean, my God. <laughs> she, she was ready. Stompinato, you know, sort of when she, when Turner did indeed tell her boyfriend that she was going to break up with him because he was a shithead, he was not, he didn't, he didn't really respond to that very well. Um, this is from the LA Times. Uh, when Turner told Stompinato it was over, he grabbed me by the arms and started shaking me and cursing me very badly and saying that. If he said jump, I would jump. If he said hop, I would hop. And I would have to do anything and everything he told me or he'd cut my face or cripple me. And if, when it went beyond that, he would kill me and my daughter and my mother. Sounds like a real prince. Yeah. 
an angel. <laughs> Do you guys know the Sean Connery angle to the story? I have heard this, but I want you to tell. Yes, I please, want you to tell it because I do not. Okay. So the time when they were in London, when Lana Turner and Johnny Stampinato was in London and he threatened her, she was shooting a movie with Sean Connery at the time. And there were rumors that she was having an affair with Sean Connery. And Johnny Stampinato, like, was really jealous and got really mad and because of the Sean Connery stuff. And then I think it was, like, two nights before the actual stabbing happened, Lana Turner was nominated for an Oscar for Paid in Place. And she went to the ceremony with Cheryl Crane, her daughter, as her date. And they were, like, sitting at the same table or they were sitting near— Sean Connery, and there were photographs of Sean Connery with Lana Turner. And so that, like, set off Johnny Stampinato again. There was also something I read that was, there's a rumor that when he, when Stampinato came to the set in London, that Sean Connery punched him in the face. <laughs> oh, which, oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I really like as an angle, even <laughs> though, like, Sean Connery, like, is also a gross shithead. Yeah, but that... <laughs> Yeah, good God. But just like, I like to watch the shitheads just tear each other that's apart. Fun. Yeah, that's always fun. It's always nice to see. It's better for all of us. I yeah. agree. So continuing from, so what happened was Lana Turner said she was walking towards her bedroom door and Stompanato was behind her and her daughter came in and she said, I swear it was so fast. I truthfully thought she had hit him in the stomach. The best I can remember, they came together and they parted. I still never saw a blade. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love, like, even now. So I found most of this stuff in a L.A. Times, like, archival article that was sort of looking back on it. And it was even that then framed as, like, this testimony is the performance of Lana Turner's life mm. and her career. Yeah. God. Well, you know, she's interesting because she didn't actually get a lot of opportunities to really act because she was so beautiful and so sexy. And so she was often just, like, playing, like, a sex goddess. Um and, like, not really, very rarely, like, the star of the movie, like, the one who the movie was about. Mm -hmm. Usually she was the love interest or, like, you know, the prize to be won. Mm. And so this really is, like, these are, like, the best speeches yeah. she ever she was just like, said finally. in public. <laughs> My time. It's now. <laughs> How awful. I mean, at least she, like, made it towards every actor's dream of being on Falcon Crest. <laughs> <laughs> so the the case was eventually ruled a justifiable homicide. But apparently one of Stompanato's friends outside of the courtroom claimed that it was a lie, saying that um, her daughter Cheryl was in love with him, that there was jealousy, and that is why she stabbed him. I mean, his exact words were, it's a lie. The girl was in love with him. There was jealousy between her and her mother. He was a gentleman. Ah. That's more than the rest of you Hollywood people are. She's like ri pretty rich. Like, so like, fuck you. Yeah. Like, shut up. And, you know, it's so creepy, too, because Cheryl, she wrote this really candid autobiography. And, I mean, I feel like she must be telling the truth because she says horrible things about her mother all throughout right. it. Mm. And she says in this book that she wasn't in love with Johnny Stampinato. Johnny Stampinato was raping her. Yeah. And, like, for his friend to be like, oh, she wanted it is just so gross. And also just yeah. so— not to be like, uh, eye roll, but it's also so typical where it's just like, <laughs> oh, no, he was great. It was just these two whores who yeah. both just, like, wanted a piece. Uh, Fighting you know, over this awesome, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what a gentleman when basically every testimony to his character says the opposite. Right. And it's just like, she was a 14-year-old girl. Like, I don't know. It's ridiculous. But again, like, with the Thelma Todd thing, like, 
like Johnny Stampanato, the main reason he was with Lana Turner was because she had money mm-hmm. and like she could provide like an easy life for him. And so to to spin it around and be like they just couldn't get enough of my D is like <laughs> <laughs> like pretty bad. Pretty impressive the the lengths one will go to to. I mean, yeah. so the autobiography you mentioned uh, came out in 1988. It's called Detour, a Hollywood Story. Great title. I mean, and this poor girl, she had the roughest life after that. Like, after that, she uh, became a ward of the state at her, and like, at her own request, was placed in her grandmother's custody. She's struggled with substance abuse issues uh, in the coming de- decades. She was sort of a delinquent. Mm. And so clearly, like, this whole incident really fucked her up. This wasn't just, like, a horny vengeance killing. (laughs) It's like this is a girl who's, like, experienced real trauma and is trying to find ways to get away from it. Yeah. I mean, it would be very hard to deal with something like this that happened to her appropriately. Yeah. Especially if, like, your mother is so in the public eye and, you know, kind of is considered this, like, femme fatale of of the silver screen. Right. It's like you can't just, like, privately deal with this ever. It's, no. She's always going to be Lana Turner's daughter. Mm-hmm. And and also, like, that girl who stabbed that guy. Yeah, also, right. that Lana Turner's daughter, then the girl who stabbed that guy. Those are two really difficult things to to contend with, I think, growing up as a person. I am kind of into, like, being, like, her being, like, the girl who stabbed that rapist. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm, like, good for her. I don't know. Um, um, which is a weird way of putting it, but... <laughs> Karina, you could sort of talk us through this one. It's that of Dorothy Stratton. You covered this earlier on your podcast. Um, And I had never heard of this before. Yeah. um, So Dorothy Stratton was, she was most famous for being Playmate of the Year. Um, And uh, after that, she like had made a few movies. She was shooting a movie called They All Laughed, directed by Peter Bogdanovich in New York. And while she was shooting that, she fell in love with Bogdanovich. But Unfortunately, she already had a husband, this guy, Paul Snyder, who was like a, you know, low-level pimp, just like a sleazy guy who had picked Dorothy Stratton up at the Dairy Queen where she worked in Canada when she was 17 and like pretty quickly coaxed her into posing for nude photographs. And he had decided that like she was, you know, again, it's like sleazy guys latching onto beautiful women and like figuring out ways to make money out of them. But he decided that he was going to like turn her into like a nude pinup star. And his big goal was to get her like on the cover of Playboy, which Mm -hmm. he did. But once he did that, Paul Snyder considered that Hugh Hefner was his rival. Her rival pimp, basically. uh, On her first night at the Playboy Mansion, according to Dorothy, Hugh Hefner, like, she was basically forced to have sex with him. And I guess Hefner took his prerogative, like, with all the playmates or as many as he could, and he didn't consider it abusive. But, I mean, her account of it, of the experience was that she was not allowed to say no. And so that was basically, like, her situation was that she was kind of, like, trapped between these two super controlling men who were using her and using her sexuality. And then Peter Bogdanovich walks into her life and she sees him as like somebody that's going to rescue her. Mm. But when she was about to leave her husband and move in with Bogdanovich, uh, her husband brutally raped and killed her. 
at the age of 20. That's like a part of, I mean, every detail of the story is sad. It's horrific. But it's like shaking yeah. that this all happened between 17 and Three 20. years. She never got to like, yeah. I don't know. And she like wanted to be an actress and just. Right. She never got a chance to do anything but be like a plaything that it, she was trying to escape yeah. between these fucking jerks. Well, I know. And of course, like. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it. While he was alive, Hugh Hefner has vehemently, you know, denied all of these accusations. But this is not the first example I've heard of Hugh Hefner using coercion to have sex with women, mm. where I know, like, there's talk that he did that to Linda Lovelace. Mm. Uh, there's, like, I don't know. He This is not the first story of its kind. I would not. Yeah, I mean, I would be shocked if it if it were, if this was the only time Hugh Hefner had, like, tried <laughs> to use, wield his gross influence to whatever. Yeah, Which is why, yeah, it's so gross that he's, like, considered this, like, wow, like, this groovy symbol of the sexual revolution right. and, like, the left, you know? And it's just like, no, he's just gross. Like, all of these other guys are gross. Well, the I mean, the whole sexual revolution thing, you know, and especially as it manifested in the Playboy Mansion and, like, hanging out at the Playboy Mansion as the supposed road to fame, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's it's such a lie that it would be any kind of, like, equal desire situation. I mean, it's all set up like so that there's like men have more freedom to pursue their desires and women are approved like if they say no or they want to do things differently. Right. So one thing I kind of wanted to talk about um, is this description of Stratton that was written by her uh, biographer, Teresa Carpenter, Ugh. in 1980. Um, she's barely cold at this point, you know, uh, she, she was uh, killed on August 4th, 1980, and then this book came out later that year. Carpenter wrote, Her blonde hair hung naturally, oddly unaffected by the violence to her countenance. The shell had entered above her left eye, leaving the bones of, a, of that serific face shattered and displaced in a welter of pulp. Her body, mocking the soft, languid poses of her pictorials, was in full rigor. Like, even in death, we're going to write about this woman that way? There's no need. Yeah, I mean, I, Teresa Carpenter, you know, I think she won a Pulitzer for writing about this in The Village Voice. Um, but, you know, Peter Bogdanovich, like, wrote his own book about all of this, which is, it's really difficult to read because it's very florid and candid, but it's I think it's really worth a read. Mm-hmm. He he is not cool with <laughs> some of Teresa Carpenter's uh, descriptions and, sure. and versions of the story. Fair. Well, that's, I mean, that description is ridiculous. Well, so one thing you get into um, on the podcast, and I'm wondering if you could elaborate on a little bit here, because all I want to do is leech off of your work, uh, (laughs) (laughs) is sort of the um, Blogdanovich-Hefner rivalry that happened after her death. Blogdanovich kind of took issue with that part of the sexual revolution, right? He sort of was saying, like, there was sort of this fake feminism, but really it was used to coerce women like Dorothy into doing things that they weren't necessarily comfortable with. Well, also just like a feminism that was based entirely on male desire and like not who women really were, but about, you know, and often a very docile image of women and Mm -hmm. compliant. And that's one of the things that I think is really creepy about that Teresa Carpenter description of her, her dead naked body, which is like, you know, I mean, Paul Snyder, after he killed her, he had sex with her again. Like, 
this idea that the poses in Playboy and, like, certain other pornographic things, like, the idea is, like, having the woman, like, not resist at all. And that's so similar to a dead body. Sure. Well, and the detail Definitely. about how her fingertip was blown off because she tried to, like, guard yeah. her face. It's just— yeah. And I don't know. Do we? We I think we mentioned that he then committed suicide after this. So uh, yes, he did not have to face any of the consequences right. of what he had done. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I mean, and I know. So like Hefner definitely took issue with Blagdanovich's assertions. Mm-hmm. Kind of started this smear campaign against him. And one of the details, which actually does feel so gross and insidious, is that uh, one of the accusations was that Blagdanovich was now dating. Dorothy Stratton's younger sister. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he eventually married Louise Stratton, um, who was, I think, 12 or 13 at the time that her 20-year-old sister was murdered. <sighs> um, and He married her you know, later I mean, down I don't, the line. I don't really know what to say about that. Um, they, I guess, like, in his defense, you can say that they didn't get married until she was an adult. Um, they stayed married for, I think— 10 or 15 years. Okay. They collaborated on screenplays together. It seems like once they actually got married, they had an adult relationship. Great. Um, but it's just the circumstances that seem very strange because he did take on sort of a fatherly role to her after Dorothy was killed. I mean, she was 12. I mean, you can also <laughs> see how like that grooming would work for her too, where it's like she's just had this traumatic event and here's this man who probably genuinely loves her because Mm -hmm. he loved her sister so Mm -hmm. much. Because she maybe resembles her sister a little bit. So I'm sure he, like, took on this Oh, yeah, it's a weird vertigo thing for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's not excusing any grouping that may have happened, but, like, from her perspective, I get it. And, I mean, and he's, like, been very, Mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, I did fall in love with her because she resembles her sister. Right, he's very upfront about that. Which is interesting. I don't know. Which I think yeah, is Yeah, in really a way weird. where he doesn't seem to understand it's creepy, the same way like when Woody Allen says things, it doesn't seem like he understands why people would judge him negatively. Bogdanovich is like, yeah, like I, the most beautiful woman that I ever met and loved more than anyone else died. And then like a few years later, I realized her sister looked just like her. Which is like insane. If you think about it for five <laughs> seconds, it's insane. I See, my thing is, like, I don't think it's insane, but I think that, like, to just give in to that impulse and then not question it, that part is insane. Right. Maybe that's—I think that's what I meant. Yeah, like, the—yeah, you're right. I think the impulse—to voicing that and then just, like, not interrogating that feeling and realizing, like, hey, maybe maybe I shouldn't—hmm, maybe I should, like, process this grief somewhere else. The Woody Allen comparison is very good, I think. He's always just like, I've always liked younger women. And it's just like, <laughs> like we know. Yeah. We're aware. I wish you wouldn't. You're a fucking pervert. I mean, I think with McDonovich, I'm really fascinated with his response to all of this because it's been so honest and frank yeah. and like he mm-hmm. holds nothing back. And so that can be good and it can be cringeworthy. Um, and, you know, I don't think that anything that McDonovich has done is as morally compromised as anything Woody Allen has done or Roman Polanski has done. But it is, yeah. you know, it it does make you, I think, I mean, McDonovich is one of my favorite filmmakers. I love his movies. And it, it does make you see the work in a different way. Mm. You very beautifully on your podcast talk about this main role that uh, Dorothy Stratton got in They All Laughed and how that was kind of she finally had gotten what she really wanted mm-hmm. and just, like, how good she is in it. Yeah. And yet, even after her death, she's kind of being portrayed as a very dim-witted blonde bombshell. Yeah, I mean, because 
people didn't really get a chance to see her do much else. You know, I mean, even they all laughed. It was a movie where the studio that was supposed to put it out originally didn't want to after her death. They didn't know how to market it. Mm -hmm. And so Bogdanovich ended up like buying back the rights himself, going into bankruptcy to try to release this movie himself. And so it it wasn't seen by that many people initially. And then it sort of had a, a resurgence over the past few years because people like Quentin Tarantino and Noah Baumbach have come out and said, this, this movie was a huge influence on me. But yeah, I mean, I definitely, if people are fascinated by this story, but like before trying to look up her Playboy photos or anything <laughs> like that, I would suggest trying to watch this movie. And also this documentary about the making of the movie, which I think is still on Netflix. It's called One Day Since Yesterday. And that's a movie where like old Peter Bogdanovich now is talking about all this stuff. And you can tell from watching it that he's just still so heartbroken and like in the grieving process 30 years later. And wow. it's pretty, pretty incredible. I guess I feel like the two main lessons of this whole conversation is like, one, men are terrible all the time. <laughs> uh, and two, like Hollywood and culture just loves a dead girl. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like all of these women or well, I guess, I mean, Thelma Todd and Dorothy Stratton are more famous in death than they could have been if they had, you know, continued to live. And and certainly, like, the cult of Marilyn Monroe, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that she never got old. That right, right. She died, like, preserving this image in people's minds. And, I mean, speaking of creepy Hugh Hefner, like, one of the worst things that I have feel like I've learned in the past month or so is that he had, like, bought the mausoleum next to Marilyn Monroe so, so that disgusting. he'd be buried next to her. It's fucking disgusting. Well, especially because she was on, I, I think, the first ever Playboy cover, and it right. was nudes yeah. that they had bought. So she had not given she permission for this. She didn't pose for, for them, right? They um, were, like, different. And she yeah. was always upset about it. And then it's As just she like— should be. And then should've Hugh Hefner been. just used her then, you know? And then it's like, are is still, still somehow in dying and, like, Even freeing the death. world of his presence mm -hmm. uh, is going to be disgusting. Yeah. He yeah. found a way to be disgusting even in death. That's the spookiest thing of all, right? Hugh Hefner, like, be, still being rapey beyond the grave. Yes. <laughs> still his gross, withered little body. Think about that this Halloween. <laughs> Keep you up at night. <laughs> um, so to close out, your new season is about to start, right? It just started uh, yesterday, actually, okay. or, or this week. Um, yeah, and it's about Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, who were the Ooh. two big stars of 1930s horror movies, and they had kind of parallel but like ultimately divergent lives and careers. So, yeah, it's going to be six episodes. It's going to run past Halloween, like, into November. So, okay, cool. Yeah, you Perfect. can find it on iTunes. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Whoa. The way that Apple <laughs> controls us all. <laughs> um, well, Karina, thank you so much yeah. for coming on and joining us. You are just such a wealth of information and it was our pleasure to have you on thank you I love your guys' show it was really exciting for me to come on that means a lot it really does thank you so much <laughs> thank you thank you so much for listening to Dirtcast and thank you to Karina Longworth our show is produced by Levi Sharp with editorial oversight by Kate Drees. Madana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Our theme music is by Stuart Wood. This episode was mixed by Jamie Colazzo. 
If you want to send us a tip or just let us know what you think, hit us up at dirtcast at jezebel.com and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. 